Good morning. Good morning. I'm Justin. I'm the, did someone just say I'm sleepy? <laughs> they just called out I'm sleepy. Uh, okay. Um, good to see you. My name is Justin. I'm the director of church planning for the district. I just want to help you all out for a second. I know Mike said you can scan the QR code, but I was just on the phone with someone. I'm like, how come you haven't signed up for this conference yet? He's like, I don't know. Was I supposed to? I'm like, yeah, you're supposed to scan the QR code. He said, what's that now? Now, you may, you may have already prejudged and said, you must be an older gentleman. This dude was 32, okay? So this is not a thing. You got, what you got to do is you got to just open your camera, and you just hold it over this thing, and it will send you right to the Internet. It's crazy talk, okay? But I just wanted to let you all know, just so some of you were like, oh, I want that thing, but I don't know what a QR code is. So I got your back. Um, yeah, I'm a church planning guy. I'm here. I wasn't supposed to be. It was supposed to be Will Henderson. Uh, he's just more personable and likable than I am. But this is what you got today because uh, I'm filling in for him. And I'm going to have you stand with me in a moment. And I'm just going to read the text in Ephesians in a moment. I'm sorry. I didn't mean it. I got you too excited. I'm, I'm sorry. That was my fault. Uh, I'm going to read the text in Ephesians. But I wanted to kind of prime that moment for you uh, for a second here. Uh, my family and I, we actually do this 95% of nights. Uh, we just read a text together. We read a scripture together. It's called Discovery Bible Study. It's just a method of studying the Bible. It's not rocket science, and it's not out of a book. I'm not trying to sell anything. It's just a method of studying the Bible. So uh, we'll read the text together. I'll ask them, what did you hear God say in that text? And they'll repeat it back to me. Uh, sometime, again, my, my six-year-old's up in this thing. She, she's got this down. And then we ask three questions. Uh, what does it say about the character of God? What does it say about the character of man or woman? And how do we follow Jesus better? That's our conversation. It's outlined. My six-year-old actually leads us sometimes. My 10-year-old leads us. My, my almost 13-year-old leads us. And, and this is how we, and, and here's why we do that. We do that because I want them to know that I am not the source of their scriptures. I want them to know that I have the Holy Spirit. They have the Holy Spirit. It's, it's not Happy Meal size. It's the full size. They get the whole jam. And the Holy, the Holy Spirit is in the scriptures that we just read. So we can come around the table together no matter what age we are, and we can all lead. That's, what, that's why we do this. You can, you're welcome to do that with your family. But this is why I'm doing this with, with our family. Okay? When we get together and we read the text, that's what's happening. There's a beautiful collision of a Holy Spirit in you, Holy Spirit in me, Holy Spirit in the text, and there's, there's anointing not just on me, but there's anointing in the room. And just so you know, as a preacher... It's much better when there's anointing in the room because it turns okay preachers into good preachers. So this is a little selfish on me. I'm just letting you know you have the Holy Spirit. Let's all come to the table together. Okay, we're going to be in Ephesians 1. We're piggybacking off of last week's message. Last week's message was out of the blessing. The blessing. It's called a ueglio. And it was a beautiful blessing that Paul starts with. And he, he, he shows you the role of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the foundations of the earth choosing you. Choosing you from the beginning of time to come under the, 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 the glorious, uh, fa the head of the family named Jesus Christ, who is the Messiah. And he chooses you to be in his family, grafts you into his family. And now you are called to his mission. It's a great blessing. Reread it sometime. You don't just have to hear about it on Sunday morning. Go home and read it yourself. Okay? So Michael did a great job preaching that. This week we move into Thanksgiving. Starts out with a, a short Thanksgiving and then moves into a prayer. Are you ready? Let's stand. Stand together. You don't have to be there if you don't want to, although you should get there later if you have a paper Bible. But I'll read this now. 
What I'm going to do, I'm going to give 10 seconds or so uh, just to leave uh, the world behind. Leave the world behind. Ask God to speak to your heart. It's your relationship with God. So let's close our eyes. Yes, God, we leave the world behind and we enter into your holy word. In Jesus' name. Ever since I heard of your strong faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for God's people everywhere, I've not stopped thanking God for you. I pray for you constantly, asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you spiritual wisdom and insight so that you might grow in your knowledge of God. I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light. Wow. So that you can understand the confident hope. Interesting. He's given, you, given to those who he's called his holy people who are his rich and glorious inheritance. I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor. God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. And the church is his body. It's made full and complete by Christ who fills all things everywhere with himself. And the people of God said, Amen. Amen. You may have a seat. I don't know if you guys remember last time I was here. It, it wasn't that long ago, but let's be honest. We don't always remember what the preachers say, what the preachers do, even three days after it happens, okay? I'm just going to be honest with myself and you. All right, so last time I was here, I actually lost my place in the sermon. So what, what happened was I, I lost my iPad. You can tell I'm used to losing things. I lost my iPad, and so now I'm going to use paper. And I haven't used paper. I, I, I do what's called manuscripting, which means I write out the sermon word for word. I haven't used paper in probably a decade. Young people, it's a little thing. It's, it's like, it looks like this. Okay, come from a tree. Here it is. Oh my gosh. I hope I did not just ruin the worship leaders. <laughs> okay, if I, I just lost his place, the poor guy. Okay. So I lost my place, and I don't know if you noticed. I mean, preachers have tricks, so you don't notice, but I certainly noticed. If it wasn't for the grace and mercy and gifting of God, I would never stand up in front of people and talk, right? It's just a terrifying thing to do. So I'm terrified up here. I lost my place. I just did the rest from memory. I, I lost it about six minutes in. Did the rest from memory. And, and, and here's what I thought to myself. I said, I'm, I'm never going to do that again. I'm just going to borrow my daughter's iPad. Okay? So I went to my daughter. I'm like, I'm borrow your iPad. She says, great. Sunday morning comes for the next sermon. And she says, here, Daddy, fully charged. Which, that's my daughter, okay? That's my, that's my 12-year-old. She's amazing. She also hands me gum for Sunday mornings, which I don't know what that means. I don't know what the implications of that are. Give me some gum. It has pink stickers on it. Okay, and I know we're living in some, some confusion these days, but your boy's not getting up here with the pink stickers. It's just not going down like that. So I took off the cover, and lo and behold, underneath the cover is a crisp $100 bill. Okay? So my first thought, just like all of us, my daughter's rich. She's got an iPad and a $100 bill. Like, what is happening here? My second thought was, this must be from the Filipino side of the family because 
during Christmas, it's like Oprah in them houses. They're just handing out money all over the place, right? So it must be from them, That's what, and she must have forgot about it. So my third thought is probably the most important thought for this metaphor, and as I thought, I need to run upstairs with some unction and tell her what she obtains. I need to run upstairs and tell her what is in her possession. I'm excited to tell her what she has, all right? Now, eventually, she had the same thought that you and I did. She thought, I'm rich, uh, and she had a great day. Um, but as we go back to our letter in uh, Ephesians, the letter to the Ephesians uh, in Ephesus, we, we have to understand, one, that this is a thanksgiving and a prayer. That's what it is. It's a thanksgiving and a prayer. It's a correspondence just like uh, most correspondence, not even biblical correspondence, uh, biblical correspondence and, and Christian correspondence alike uh, went this way. So it's a thanksgiving and a prayer from a Paul who's under house arrest. It's loose house arrest. So he's got visitors. He's got good things coming along to him. And he's, he's hearing about the church in Ephesus. It's all going well. But this is also a, a prayer. So it's not written for me thousands of years later to stand up in front of you and wrap it all up into one neat little bow or sentence. That's not why it's written or how it's written. But if I'm going to try to do that, because it's important for you to try to do that, when you read the scriptures personally, try to figure out what's, what's the one thing the author is trying to communicate in context from the heart. It's, it's a good practice for you to study the Bible that way. So if I were to wrap this all up in a bow and in a sentence, here's what I would say. I need you to know what you have. I need you to know what you obtain. And, and the word know there is super important because it's not just, I don't just want you to know of something. I want you to know intimately the idea that I'm trying to communicate to you. Because you can know something and you can know of something. You can be in proximity to a piece of information, but that doesn't mean you own the information. You can rent someone's else, someone else's information. It doesn't mean you took out a mortgage of your life on this information and you know it intimately. There's a very big difference between knowing of something and knowing something. And Paul is trying to say, he's trying to scream, I need you to know this. Okay? So he, he uses three metaphors and you can hear it in the ESV. I want you to have a spirit of wisdom. A spirit of wisdom. A revelation in the knowledge of him, verse 17. He wants the eyes of your heart to be enlightened. I'll explain that, but I want, I want you to come back to this. Paul wants you, as my friend Nate Johnson always says, he wants you to know it in your knower. He wants you to feel it in your feeler. Right? He wants you to register it in your register. Somewhere deep down in your God gut, he wants you to take out a mortgage on what he's trying to tell you. And he says, I want you to have, look, he, he's repetitive. I want you to have a spirit of wisdom. That means spiritual wisdom that only the Holy Spirit can package. I want you to have revelation, which, which, which is a, a, a insight that comes from above. I want you to have revelation of the knowledge of him. And I want the eyes of your heart to be enlightened. That's a double metaphor. So your heart in Jewish thought is the central seat of your thoughts and emotion. So he wants that central seat to have eyes. And he wants it to be flooded with light. Can, can you hear him screaming? He's really trying to get something across, and he's not just trying to come across like, hey, I, got, I found a $100 bill that you didn't know about. He's screaming from the mountaintops, I need you to know this in your knower, the blessings that you obtain, the power that you obtain, what God has done for you. I need you to know this. 
My first metaphor fell kind of short, so let me try a, a different one, which is a little bit more accurate. There is this Michigan man named uh, Howard Kirby. And Howard Kirby is a typical Michigan man. Uh, he's a real, real dude. This is a real story. Uh, he decides one day, I need a man cave. All right, big shocker from a Michigan man. I need a man cave. He probably had a pole barn built for this man cave. That's what Michigan men do. I never understood it. I'm an East Coast guy. These guys, their, their pole barns are bigger than their houses. I never understood the whole thing, okay? But here we go. He's building the pole barn. He wants a man cave. And then he goes, as typical men do, to Goodwill to find the cheapest, ugliest couch that he can find, right? <laughs> One that his wife would never allow in the house, but okay, it can be out there 100 feet from the house. That's okay. That's all right. So he goes to Goodwill, and he finds this ugly couch. And I'm just going to show you a picture of the cushion there just to prove how ugly this couch is. All right? Now, I love you all from the 70s, okay? I do. Jesus loves you, those of you from the 70s. But I don't know what you were doing with patterns and colors in the 70s. The shag carpets, it was a lot, okay? So here he finds this really ugly couch. He brings it home, and he realizes... It's not just ugly, but it's lumpy, okay? But, I mean, it's from Goodwill. What did you want? <laughs> did, you, did you want it to be a real good nap couch? And so it's ugly and it's, and it's lumpy, but his daughter thinks, why is it lumpy? So she, she opens the, the ottoman, the, the cover of the ottoman, and there's $43,000 in the ottoman. 43170 to be exact. Now, that will shock you in your shocker, okay? It hits you like a wave. Here's the first couple things you think. One is, yes, I'm rich. Two is, I didn't earn this. But three is, I need to really, like, feel this. Because I'm guaranteeing that three hours later, Howard is still having revelation, like, I'm rich out of nowhere, right? He's just, it's just registering still. And then here's the fourth piece. What do I do with this? So when something significant happens to you, you not only register it somewhere deep down and go, I need to understand this at a deep level, but you also go, what do I do with this information? Now, if you're one of those people who needs the ending of a story, I'll give you the, the ending is he actually gives the money back to Goodwill, who then gives the money back to the people. Can we give up for Howard this morning? Yeah. Whoever Howard is and wherever he is in the deep state of Michigan. But th this is where we're going this morning, okay? Paul needs you to know what you obtain deep down in your knower. And he needs it to impact you in such a way where you second think, what do I do with this? What do I do with this information? What do I do with this power that lives inside of me? What do I do with this hope? He doesn't want you to just register the information, but he wants you to know, wants you to know what, uh, what do you do with it? Here's how I steward these riches, all right? So we're going to go into the first one. And, um, you know, let me, let, me, let me give you kind of a baseline for this. It'll be easy for us to register these as Christian phrases, these aren't going to be groundbreaking points. If you've sat in a, in a message, I don't know, in the last four weeks, you probably heard points just like this. It's up to you to ask God 
what does this mean? And what do I do with it? It's up to you. I can't do that for you. Here, here's, here's first what he tells us. You need to have, and you're called to, a confident hope. You're called to, number one, a confident hope. I'll reread that scripture for you as it goes up on the screen. I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light. Remember the central scene of your thoughts and emotions. I pray that that room is flooded with light so that you can understand, comprehend the confident hope, which is weird. It's kind of an oxymoron. We'll come back to that. He's given to those he's called. So watch this clarity. Number one, you're, I mean, you're, you're called, right? That's part of this. You're, you're called. And I talked about this at nauseum last time I was here. Excuse me. So I'm not going to beat this drum super long, but you're not just called to the adoption of God and into God's family, which would be enough, by the way. Which, if, if that's where God stopped, if he went to the cross to die for you and every one of your siblings in Christ, that would be enough. But you're not just called to the adoption into his family. You're called to be a disciple-making, Satan-slaying, city-evangelizing, people-serving, radically-loving missionary and priest of God. Right? That's what you're called to. You're called to the big times. You're You're called to be in the game. You're not called to be on the sidelines. You're not called to be an alternate. You're called, regardless of who who you are, regardless of how ordinary or normal you are, regardless of how downtrodden you are. As a matter of fact, God likes to pick you out personally and go, I love these people. I want them to know who they are in me, and then I want them to go. Right? You're called. Actually, growing up, I... I, uh, always felt a little bit on the outskirts. I wasn't always a popular guy. I didn't really hit my relational stride, I guess, uh, social stride until later on in middle school. Um, so I grew up in a neighborhood where we did this thing called playing outside. Uh, it's, it was crazy. Yeah. And so we played outside, and I always, I always had people in the neighborhood around me, and I was always part of that but maybe some some of you have felt this before. I didn't feel like one of the people who was called first, okay? So yeah, there was always people around, but I was probably overly sensitive, took myself too seriously, had a nickname I shouldn't say from stage in church. So there was some things blocking me from being socially socially aware and and, and really good. I just was kind of on the outskirts. And so I was the guy that you called when you couldn't really fill out your wiffle ball team and you needed a right fielder. I felt like last place. So when I think of my memories from from elementary school, you know, all those days, I really, I, I find it quite lonely, which is, I know, kind of sad. Don't worry, God has healed me. I've, I've found my stride now. It's okay. But I, I think of those sad days, and what really uh, registers in my soul is that I felt like an alternate. I didn't feel like I was really the person they were going to, and I think that's how many of you feel. I think that's how much of the church feels, really, because we're not really calling you to anything. We're calling you to, yeah, maybe join the greeting team, but that's not really calling you to something, Right? So I want you to know that Christ is calling you to something. He's not just calling you to show up and sit in these chairs and never really take a significant risk for him. Never really do anything significant for him. 
the identity that it gives you is significant. You're a son or daughter of Christ, grafted into the family. Therefore, the mission that he calls you to is equally significant. So he's calling you to be a part of his mission. Now, if that's kind of the donut, what's the jelly filling? If calling is the donut, what's the jelly filling? The jelly filling is that you're supposed to have a confident hope in this calling. Now, what is that? I mean, because for me, it's, it's a bit oxymoronic. It doesn't make sense. Usually, hope is attached to something that I'm just hoping for. <laughs> I think might happen. I hope the Philadelphia Eagles win the Super Bowl this year, right? I hope my infant sleeps through the night, specifically tonight. I hope that God calls me somewhere tropical and warm at some point. These are, yeah, I'm just saying, these are all things, like these are things that I look for and I go, maybe that'll happen. There's no confidence in it. As a matter of fact, there's very little confidence in it. So what is he talking about here? Well, he's not talking about our paradigm, our American paradigm of hope. He's saying, I want you to put your hope in not what may happen, but what has already been done. You see the difference there? I want you to put your hope in not what might happen if Jesus comes back, what might happen if he won the war, what might happen if he conquered death in the grave. No, no, no. He wants you to have hope in the fact that he already did those things. He already did them. So it's a weird, it's a weird, look, it's a weird paradigm because we don't really get it because we, we don't have anything like it. When we fight battles, it's we hope to win. It's not that we've already won the battle. So this is why we can't transport ourselves into this confident hope. But that's what he's trying to say. We've already won the war. You're, you're still called to fight and be in it, but you've already won it, and that's what confident hope is. So most hope is, will something come? This hope is, hope has already come. His name is Jesus, and he's coming again. In other words, you're not called to confidence in yourself, but into Jesus. Amen. I think that's where most Christians go next when we're supposed to have a confident hope. They go, well, I'm not that confident in my evangelism, my ability to reach my neighbor. I'm not that confident in my friendliness. I mean, I kind of have one of those resting angry faces. So I'm not that confident. I mean, people just don't tell me stuff, okay? Because, so I just want to, am I friendly enough for, to reach people? We just start thinking through confidence in ourselves and in our own giftings, which is not what God is talking about. And if you put your confident hope in yourself, you'll either end up swelling up with pride if it works out or dying of insecurities if it doesn't. So what Jesus is saying here, what Paul is saying, is Jesus has already done it, and it's all about him. It's not about you. So if, you, if your hope is, is a plank, you're not putting your plank in yourself. You're putting your plank in Jesus. And you're saying, I, I'm, I'm going to nail this in Jesus uh, because that's where all my confidence comes from. I, I go through this with new preachers all the time because um, we, we train up preachers in the district, etc. And new preachers are like bad prom dates, you know? They're, a, they're like a mess. It's like they haven't gone all the way through puberty yet, and they're just thinking about, what a, how do I look? Did I say something good? Did I say anything important? 
Did, did it come off? That's, it's just, it's constant, right? And so it's, it's a constant conversation of, it's not about you, homie. <laughs> I mean, that's really the coaching point, isn't it? Would you stop? It's not about you. So that always gets them a little bit, well, excuse me. You know, they, I was like, what? what but it is a little bit. No, it's not even, not even a bit about you. And then you start asking them questions like, is Jesus alive? Uh-huh. Is the word of God alive? Uh-huh. Does he love his people? Uh-huh. Does he want to speak to his people? Uh-huh. If you just read the word of God, would they get something out of it? I guess so. You know? Is God calling you to be a microphone superstar? No, I guess not. I mean, these are just the questions. Why? Because it's, it's, it's our fleshly reaction to just go, I'm going to put my, my hope in myself. But it's the spiritual reaction to go, I'm going to put my hope in Jesus. Who plans on changing the world? And I just so happen to be a lowly servant that's a part of that plan. Number one, you're called to a confident hope. A confident hope. Number two, and by the way, you can, you can go back and study the scripture. There's more than these two. Uh, but like most good preachers, I uh, used all my good stuff up on point one and have no time for three points. Okay, here we go. <laughs> Number two, you are called to and have access to his power. I know those are just words, but let's, let's try to unpack that a little bit. You're called to and have access to his power. You ever played charades uh, for the young folks? I don't know, I, I feel really old today. I'm, just, I'm explaining a lot of things to the young folks, all right? Young folks, it's this game where you can't say the word, but you have to explain the word. So in charades, you're using everything you can you're using every hand motion, and I'm comfortable with this, a New York guy, I'm comfortable using my hands. Uh, you, you hand motion, you're, you're describing the word using every synonym that you could possibly obtain. You got your synonym bank out, you're like, you know, just because you can't say the word. So you're just describing this in every single possible way so that these people get this idea. I need you to, I need you to watch Paul. Okay, we can't see his hands, but we can feel his spirit. I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe in him. It's for us. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him at a place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. That's some power. Now he's far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else. Can you see him playing charades? He's listing them off. He just ends with, or anything else. I don't got time to list it all. Just anything else. Not only in this world, but also in the world to come. God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. And the church is his body. It's made, it's made full and complete by Christ who fills all things everywhere with himself. I need you to know what you have. You have the power of God that exists inside of you. The same power that picked him, plucked him from the grave. That's power we can't even comprehend. The same power that went to hell and grabbed the keys. The same power that, that lifted up Lazarus from the dead almost four days after he's in there stinking. He comes out in grave clothes. The same power. It lives inside of us. Now I know we, we mostly feel like that couch cushion 
Um, we, we mostly feel kind of ugly spiritually, lumpy, old, tired. Okay, that's nice. There's all sorts of power. But, but this is, I'm this cushion. <laughs> I don't have much to give. I'm outdated. Paul is saying, open the cushion. And there's so much more in there than the price of a used car. By the way, that's the price of a used car now, $43,000. There's so much more in there. And through charades, he's telling, I need you to know what you have. So yeah, you go up to someone and you don't have words, but you want to tell them about Jesus, it'll be okay. God asks you to step out of something, take a risk, go on an adventure, it's going to be okay. God asks you to pray for someone who's sick, who's tired, who's broken. And you're wondering, God, would you, would you heal this person? But I can't pray for him. Yep, you can. It's going to be okay. The same power exists inside of you. I'm going to read this scripture one more time because we, we naturally, again, our first thought is, okay, that's what's in the couch cushion. But our second thought is, okay, what do we do with that? How do we steward that? Back to verse 22 and 23. God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things. So here's the best news. It doesn't have to be about you. The best news is it's, it's all under Christ. So yeah, in the, in the next five weeks, especially if you submit yourself, you're gonna be called to things, you're gonna be punching well above your weight class if you're open to it. But the good news is it's not about you or your power. It's all under the submission of the one who is the, the, the giver of that power. Confident hope. Hope in what he's already done and going to do. I think most of us think, um, you know, as, again, as, as believers um, and worship team, you come up here. Most of us think when God calls us to something, that we need to grab something new. And we start grabbing at things, don't we? Uh, okay, I'll get a book. That'll help. I'll, get, I'll, I'll go to this conference. That'll help me obtain the, the, the access to the power of God that I'm hoping for. That, that'll help me get to the confident home. Most of us start grabbing stuff. When I don't think the answer to our discipleship or our sanctification is to grab more, it's to surrender more. It's to release more. It's not to white knuckle the, the blessings and the goodness of God. It's to release so that we can finally receive the actual blessings of God. So recently, I'm in the car on the way to um, Monroe Alliance. I'm going to preach over Monroe Alliance. And I decide I'm not gonna I'm not gonna listen to anything. I just need the quietness of God. And I just felt him push on me like you could be a better writer, preacher, teacher, discipler. So immediately I go, All right, how? And I start thinking, maybe maybe I could do more. 
That's usually my first thought. Maybe I could do more. I just felt him say, I need you to surrender your nights to me. Okay, so I have this thing. My mornings are surrendered to God. I can't, like I'm a, I'm a Twitter guy. I can't open Twitter uh, or, or much else until I spend significant time with my Jesus. Okay, it's always been my rhythm since I've been a young believer. It's, okay, I'm not asking for a pat on the back. I'm just saying, I, I've given him my mornings. But I never really gave him my nights. So uh, I usually let a TV show rock me to sleep. Anybody else? You don't have to raise your hand. But just, yeah, just in the room, maybe, maybe you do that too. And so I've given him my mornings, but I, I've never given him my nights. And so I just felt him say, I want you to release your nights to me. So my first thought was, I'm just going to grab more. But his thought was, no, I need you to surrender more. If you're, if you're really going to understand the things that I want to give you, you're going to surrender more. Because that's how you steward the blessings and the goodness of God. Let's stand up together. We're going to worship. But really, worship is surrender. So start by surrendering this moment of worship. If God is asking you to close your eyes and talk to him, close your eyes and talk to him. If he's asking you to surrender something, surrender something. If he's asking you to surrender your insecurities or your fear, surrender those things. Talk to him about it. If he's asking you to sing out loud for the first time, because you come to church and you're like, I'm never singing out loud. I sound like a dead cat. It's okay. It's okay. Sing out loud. Surrender that. Surrender your pride. Let's pray. God, we surrender. We know that we have access to a confident hope in you, the king. And so we come to you, our servants, wanting to surrender what's, what we're holding on to in our hands. We come to your altar. We come to your altar. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship together.